The Money Cafe is brought to you by Eureka Report, your one-stop shop for all things finance. To sign up for your free 15-day trial, head to eurekareport.com.au. Now it's time to enjoy today's episode. Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report, finance presenter on ABC News and columnist for The New Daily. And I'm Stephen Main, contributor at Eureka Report, founder of Crikey, shareholder, activist and City of Manningham councillor. And, and we, we are, are the, the Money, Money Cafe. Cafe. And there's no one else with us in the back of Leclerc today, Alan. It's very quiet on a yeah, beautiful, right. sunny Melbourne morning. The heater's making a lot of noise. Well, that was the other one. I got, the, I got them to turn off the other one. It was sounding like a jumbo jet taking off. So, um, so anyway. um, uh, the, I just want to start talking about the RBA briefly. Uh, so I think that's it for rate hikes. This is my opinion. I think that's it, 4.1%. It'll be 4.1% for a long time. Um, uh, unless there's a recession, in which case rates will be cut, uh, or unless there's some sort of surprise in the data that nobody expects or knows about, uh, in which case there'll be another hike. But as long as everything stays as expected, there'll be no more rate hikes, which, uh, uh, and I actually looked back over um, 30 years of the cash rate and averaged them in my little Excel spreadsheet, and the average cash rate over 30 years is 4.1%. So we are at average, except that, uh, there is now more debt, household debt, than there's ever been. But uh, more super as well, balancing that off, and higher house prices yeah, yeah, than but, ever but before. People don't get the people don't strong get, balance sheets. People don't get the the um, you know the benefit or the income from their super. They have to pay out. They have to pay out the uh, repayments on the mortgage. So, look, uh, um, uh, you know, we've got more variable rate mortgages in Australia than anywhere else or most, most other places. So that means that with, with high level of debt, variable rate mortgages, the RBA didn't need to put up interest rates to 5% as other places have done, such as Canada, Europe, UK, And hence our US. dollar is weakening because our interest rates are relatively low by world Correct, standards. Correct, that's right. So, so we're not attracting... Uh, Flexible capital, particularly for our relatively low interest rates. That's right. Yeah, I actually reckon the most. In- I agree with you. I think it'll be steady for the next year. I actually reckon the most interesting thing with the Reserve Bank now is is what happens on June 30 next year, when all the big banks who were lent 188 billion dollars for three years at 0.1 percent have to pay the lot back on one day, on June 30 next year. And you know what they're paying on their interest rates? 0.1%. And the other funny thing is that the, the, the RBA currently has $300 billion on deposit from pretty much those same banks that they've lent the money at $188 billion. And you know what they're paying them in interest? 4%, which is the official rate minus 10 basis points. So that is a subsidy of $7.2 billion a year at the mo- on the last 12 months of that COVID bailout printed money unprecedented exercise of stimulus. Well, at least it won't be a surprise. They've got plenty of time to get know, ready for they it. Know what's, they know what's coming. They'll be right. So all of a sudden, the Reserve yeah. Bank will go from having $300 billion on deposit to $120 billion on deposit because they'll just flick the switch and the $188 billion will, will be repaid by the banks and they'll just take it out of the Reserve Bank and yep. 
And uh, the market will adjust and everyone will... And profits of banks will be down by $7 billion for the year because they won't have the cheapest finance facility they've ever had. Now, I want to talk about interesting story in the rear window column this morning about Qantas giving Nathan Albanese a membership of the Chairman's Lounge and whether this is appropriate for the Prime Minister's 23-year-old son to receive to be invited into such an exclusive club. Well, he's, he's clearly a very important student. Yes. But, I mean, I'm, I've never been a member. I don't know about you, Alan. Have you ever been a member of the, the Chairman's Lounge? Uh, I have been a member of the Chairman's Lounge for a very long time. <laughs> so, well, so yes, uh, the answer is I am a member of the Chairman's Lounge. I, when I travel, I go to the Chairman's Lounge. And you've got a special hotline you can ring where you speak to a human? I do. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and it's a very nice thing. Yes, yes. And uh, I have to say that the only time Qantas has ever discussed the Chairman's Lounge, I think when I interviewed former Chairman Lee Clifford for The Constant Investor in 2017, and I, and I asked him, you know, how's it run? How do you get appointed? And he said, this is a commercial undertaking. But he does say that he gets lots of requests from people and that he sometimes overrules management when people get downgraded. So I wonder if Chairman Goiter will reach in this morning and say, this is a bit embarrassing. I don't think the Prime Minister's son should be a member. Um, let's cancel the membership. Not yeah, a good of look. Of course he will not do that because it would it would look like, and it would be, in fact, him uh, jumping to uh, Joe Aston's tune, which he won't do, of course. Well, I mean, they've cancelled the Fin Review in the, in the Chairman's Lounge and in the Qantas Club, um, but there is that thing as the internet. It was the most read story on the Fin Review's website in the last 24 hours, and yeah. I think this is a governance issue for the PM. It's not a good look. And it's, I guess it's interesting because he's the first divorced Prime Minister we've ever had. Every other Prime Minister in history has been um, not divorced. Gillard's the first one who wasn't married. Um, and so whether a divorced PM with one son under the Chairman's Club rules can nominate a family member, you know, and maybe he hasn't nominated his partner, I don't know. But well, at a time it, when... It's, it's by invitation. So obviously Alan Joyce has invited Nathan Albanese to join the Chairman's Lounge. Yes. and yes. Which is entirely Alan Joyce's prerogative. Yeah. But and I'm, he obviously has done it in order to carry favour with the Prime Minister. Yeah, and is that why the, 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 the government has rejected Qatar Airways' request to fly 28 more flights from Australia to Doha? And is that why the government's just defunded the ACCC from their special airline monitoring operation? I mean, it's not a good look. Looks like you can just look after the PM's family and you'll get soft regulation is the optics of the thing. I think it stinks. Sure. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's bad, and you know, I'm look, but I'm looking forward to seeing Nathan in the Chairman's Lounge <laughs> next I travel. And the contrast I want to make well, is I got a letter from the, the Canberra Labor Club recently that said, Dear Mr Main, I advise that your application for ordinary membership to the Canberra Labor Club has been rejected by the Board of Directors at their meeting on the 21st of June 2023. Now, Albanese opened the, newer, the new $40 million Canberra Labor Club Mercure Belconnen in February 2020, just before COVID struck. He launched it. I spent $1,000 staying there for five nights recently, or the rate pays that Manningham did. Tried to join the club, and they just write to me and say, we reject you, and they give me no reason. So I think that's an interesting contrast, and ultimately, Albo is responsible for 
the Labor, you know, he could move a motion at the upcoming Labor conference to say we should no longer be in the pokies business. It's a conflict of interest for the Labor Party to make $30 million a year from pokies gamblers. So anyway, I just draw a contrast between those two club membership situations. You must have been relieved that they rejected you because uh, of the Groucho Marx principle of not wanting to be a member of any club that would have you as a have you as a member. Well, that is true. But it is the beautiful thing about Australia's public company activism governance model is, you know, the late Ivan Milat could buy $500 worth of shares in Qantas and still get into the AGM if he could get day release. Um, so there's no club thing. You know, you can buy your way in and then you can yeah, get access I, at the AGM. Ivan Milat wouldn't get into the chairman's lounge. So. No, that's true. That's true. And he probably wouldn't get into the Canberra Labor Club. But you, you can get on a register. Anyone in the world can get on a register of a public company and that gives you access rights at the AGM to ask as many questions as you like. And that is a good accountability thing. Except if it's the News Corporation, in which case you can get one question. Is that right? No, they give me they give you two questions over one minute and then security physically removes the microphone <laughs> after you've flown 15 hours to LA to go to a 15-minute meeting where you've registered in the car park of a nearby shopping well, centre. more fooled you is all I've got to say, Stephen, <laughs> honestly. What Rupert does would be illegal in Australia. That's why he went to Delaware, I think. Um, now, what else do you want to cover off? What about Trump? Incredible situation there. <laughs> What's going to happen, do you reckon? I mean, they've been downgraded. Their credit rate has been downgraded partly because of this whole Trump sort of bedlam. So so Trump's um, – uh, on the Republican side polling, uh, it's Trump then daylight, right? Trump Correct. is 54%. A- and getting further nearest, ahead. Getting further ahead. His nearest rival, Ron DeSantis, is on 17%. So it's 54 versus 17. Yeah. On the general polling, versus Trump versus Biden, they are neck and neck. Correct. 53, sorry, 43% each. So um, I think that um, America's uh, heading over a cliff in some way. Uh, there's a fair chance that Trump actually does become president. I'd only put it at 10 to 15% chance. I think there's a... There's a 60% chance he gets the nomination. And then I just think that suburban women, there'll be enough people that will not go for a bloke in jail to be the president or likely to be in jail. If he gets up, of course, he can pardon himself. But I just say hallelujah to Australia's system of government where you can sack a prime minister overnight if they're an idiot. Sure. And thank God for that. And thank God for the Australian Electoral Commission and running thank, the elections. And thank God for compulsory voting. And compulsory as well. voting. They are the, you know, I mean, and, and good gun laws in terms of the, <laughs> the great things about Australia. We let's just celebrate Australia that Trump cannot happen here. Um, you know, because you know Rudd, Abbott, Turnbull, Gillard and Hawke were all sacked whilst prime minister by their party because it was time. And, you know, Thank God for the eight-year limit in America is all I can say. Although that did give us, you know, because uh, uh, Clinton would have beaten George Bush and Obama would have beaten Trump. So, unfortunately, the eight-year limit actually gave us a couple of ordinary outcomes, I'd argue. Correct. Um, I want to just briefly cover off the Macquarie AGM. I mean, I want to ask you, how much is too much for uh, uh, someone's salary? I mean, Nick O'Kane, who runs the commodities and... 
global markets division, which did make six billion net profit last year. Calendar year. So had a good year, profiting off floods and wars and all sorts of stuff, and mainly in oil and gas dealings. But should he have got fifty-seven point six million? And so I'd just like to uh, propose a different way of looking at it to you. I think you probably shouldn't see that as a salary. It's a, a business. It's a. It's a, no, no. It's a business relationship. It's like it's like uh, two companies. You know, uh, the Nico Kane Incorporated is uh, is consulting to Macquarie Bank and is receiving payment for that service. But he can do nothing it's, it without is, it their is balance a, sheet and their brand. Well, that's true. He of is course. just the latest. No, but I'm just saying help. that he is a he is a. It's you know. I think you should be looked at as a company providing a service, like a, you know, like a KPMG providing yeah. a service. I mean, I, I just think it's it's wrong at that point to start thinking of these things as salaries. Well, I just think no one should get more than the CEO, and the CEO was twenty four million less than what he got. Well, see again, I disagree with you. I think that a company a company that pays some people more than the CEO has got their head screwed on, because because. Uh, it shouldn't necessarily be a strict hierarchy of payments running from the CEO down. There are people. I mean, I think it shows that the, it's, they've got a CEO who is relative. You know, who's who's commendably humble. Well, she it's owns two hundred and three million dollars worth of shares and enjoyed a uh, five point two two million dollar dividend on July the fourth. So Shamar is doing okay and can get by on thirty two million a year when she's already got. Uh, that bigger shareholding, but my my beef is with the fact that Macquarie's got twenty thousand five hundred staff, or two hundred and plus another two hundred and forty six thousand dollars working in infrastructure assets and the businesses that they manage, and they should have got more of the fifty seven point six million, rather than just this whole you know the CEO or the boss gets all the credit. These things are team games, and I I think I, I'm glad there was a nineteen percent protest vote, and I think they should lower. The payments to the very people, the people at the top, and share it around more. Although, if you look at the number, the staff share scheme owns 7.2% of Macquarie. That's today worth 4.85 billion dollars. They're the biggest shareholder in themselves, and that's an average of 236 thousand dollars for each of those 20,500 share uh, employees. So they do spread it around, but obviously yeah, I don't Shamara think, is the uh, biggest I, holder with $202 million I don't worth. think Macquarie staff are living in tents, you know. No, well, they're, they're that's not. They're, they're, not sleeping on, they're not sleeping on park benches, Macquarie no. staff. They're okay. Yeah. <laughs> but how much is too much? I hope this is the biggest protest vote they've had since 2007. I hope they make a few tweaks and, and respond to the intervention by the shareholders to say uh, this is too much, do something about it. And there was no debate about this at the AGM because they didn't release the proxy position until after the debate. I mean, it, the AGM is one thing. It is an election announcement event. That's all that happens at the AGM legally is you announce the results of the election and then you discuss it. So Macquarie has an AGM where they do a quarterly update, press conference, all these 44 PowerPoints, one job lot Q&A on all six items on the agenda. Debate's over. Then they flash up the proxy result votes and we have no discussion about why there was a 20% protest vote. It's PR, it's poor process, and I hope next year they release the proxies before the meeting starts as more and more companies are doing now. Okay, there you go. Let's go to questions. 
Adam, a, 12, a Year 12 economic student, says, you have all said at one point that bracket creep needs to be compensated. This ignores the progressive income system's role as an automatic stabiliser. Tying tax brackets to CPI would neutralise that. It could be tied to the inflation goal of 2 to 3%. I don't think we have all said, Adam, that bracket creep needs to be compensated. I don't think we have said that. I have said, in fact, that the only part of bracket creep that should be compensated or at least given back is uh, the inflation component. I think that the purpose of a progressive tax system, which is what we have, is that people who get promoted and get paid more outside inflation uh, should pay higher um, percentages on their income tax. So, well, I agree. I've, where we have disagreed is I think the stage three tax cuts are fine because they're giving back bracket creep. You don't think they're fine. Um, and I personally think that the brackets should be indexed to wage increases. But I do agree with Adam that it is an automatic stabiliser. If you're having a boom and everyone's getting paid a fortune, then they're all paying more in tax because they're, they're flying through the tax brackets. And we have a very high tax progressive personal income tax system and we still massively undercook our GST yeah. and so indirect I, I taxes. So I personally would like to see the tax brackets indexed to inflation. Yeah. As they once were. Or, or wage increases. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wage increases or inflation. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, so the motion is moved. It's unanimously endorsed and will be ignored as usual. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie says, do you believe that Airbnb are actually a major problem or that something else is driving the issue? Like legacy businesses and council opportunists. And they're driving the issue, I think driving the debate about the Airbnb is a problem. I don't see too many Airbnbs around me in Western Sydney with views of West Connects chimneys. Just like hotels, location is all important. So what do you reckon? I mean, I guess just briefly, I think that Airbnb is a good thing. It adds to supply. It competes with hotels. It generates income for small business mum and dad hosts. And the only real issue is around amenity with parties and lack of supply for long-term rentals. But that should be fixed I think by the, the government uh, building affordable housing. Uh, uh, so I, I th think that the, the main problem uh, with Airbnb is the uh, the premium that you get uh, per night for for putting your for renting your house on uh, for short term rent on Airbnb is too high. So I've Is the market I, at work though, Alan. Yeah, well maybe, but but uh, that's right. But I think that what's happening is that the because the premium is so high. Because I've looked at a number of properties uh, on REA, realestate.com.au for the same property on Airbnb, same sort of property, right? Yeah. And it's a difference of about 1,000 a week to 3,000 a week. Wow. And so, Nice properties. Well, no, the thing is that you, there, there needs to be a risk premium for Airbnb because yeah. you, you're not going to rent it all the time. Yeah. And also... Seasonal you're, income. You're more likely to get damage yeah. uh, because you'll get parties. And cleaning costs. On Airbnb, it's cleaning costs. So that you yeah. need to have a premium. The question is, what should the premium be? And I think... It, that one thousand to say three thousand a week is too much because what's happening is we're getting. Uh, I think I think that there's about three hundred thousand properties up on Airbnb at the moment yeah. in Australia, and when I looked the other day on a, on REA, there are fifty five thousand five hundred thirty three properties available for long term rent. Right. Okay. So it's yeah, kind of it's roughly too far. It's six times as many places on Airbnb. Yeah. Because you only, you know, because the premium is so great, yeah. the risk premium is so great, you only need to re rent it on Airbnb for two or three days a week yeah. uh, to be ahead. Yeah. So, and so there is a crisis for long-term renters. 
That's right. So the the national the national rental vacancy rate is one point two percent. Yeah, which is kind of too low. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, that all there's there's a whole lot of ten um, percent of the properties in Australia are, are unoccupied at the last census That's in tw- twenty twenty one, which is also true. Um, but uh, there's really nothing you can do about that either. No, no. Well, I think maybe some incentives. I don't believe in rental price controls or government councils coming in saying you can only rent it for six months a year or something. It's private property at the end of the day. Um, but maybe some tax incentives and subsidies to encourage long-term rentals would make, make more sense. Now, Alan says, uh, my first comment is that couples should diversify. My wife has stayed with QSuper, Super, now known as Australian Retirement Trust, now that it's merged with SunSuper, and I've swapped out of this to UniSuper. QSuper used to be very good, but in the past 12 months, they only made 4% balanced and 4.5%. Aggressive UniSuper balance was 10.3% last year and aggressive was 14%. My question is, should I tolerate underperformance or switch to someone else? Now, I actually think that's a good point, that couples should not be in the same industry fund. I actually like that idea of diversifying within industry funds. And UniSuper is interesting. That Yes, long-term, they've outperformed. But they did go backwards by 5% uh, two years ago, their fourth negative return in 30-odd years. And they're very long in infrastructure. And they got they own, they own like 15% of Transurban, which is worth like $4.5 billion. And they own 15% of um, Sydney Airport. Another one, Unisuper owns 16% of GPT, the big property trust. And GPT is currently trading at $4.29 when they claim to have an NTA of $5.98. So the GPT stake for Unisuper is actually worth $1.35 billion on the market, but GPT says it should be worth $1.9 billion. So there's a $540 million gap in Unisuper's stake in, in, in GPT, and I reckon, you know, Melbourne Central. They own Melbourne Central. COVID, Melbourne CBD. Yeah, but what's your point? What's, my, the, what's my point, the problem? Well, my point is I think that Unisuper has historically performed well, but I think they're overweight infrastructure and property and they won't necessarily keep performing because uh, past performance is not a, not a guide of future performance. But the lesson is um, diversify and couples should go into different industry funds. Totally, fine. totally yeah. agree. Malcolm says, I agree the only useful immediate approach to the climate crisis is to plant trees through scientifically meaningful reforestation. This needs significant support and one assumes it is out there in investor land for both the good of the planet and sensible investing. Apart from generic bonds, where, how and into what do you invest in? This well, is one for you, Guru. Oh, well, uh, look, I mean, you can, you can invest in ACUs, Australian Carbon Credit Units, um, and there are a couple of funds that do it. Um, uh, the problem with that is that the government has actually put a cap on the price of $75. Uh, the current price is about just under $30 per ACU. So, you know, your upside is limited. The price needs to be $100 per ACU in order to encourage tr- the planting of trees. At the moment, the ACUs... Pr- so the, what happens at the moment is that the ACUs are given to farmers who uh, do what's what the what the regulator requires of them in order to um, sequester carbon. That is, mostly it involves changing their grazing practices to allow mulga to grow, uh, mulga trees to grow in the outback, mm. which kind of is, is, and there's some controversy about whether that's uh, 
valid, you know, and whether it's because few people are criticising that and, um, you know, the regulator looks at it and says, here you go, have these ACUs as a reward for changing your grazing practices. Um, uh, it's not easy to be a passive investor in the sort of the this space, I think, is the, no, no, the question. No, that, no, uh, that's right, it's not. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, it is, it's, it's not impossible, but it's yeah. difficult. And we've had a related question from Joss asking about ethical investments for his children. Uh, how, how could he invest a few hundred dollars each year for his child to gift to them when they're 25? What would you invest in? Now, geez, I've got to say, uh, Josh, I had a bad experience with this. I put my nephew into Australian Ethical. You know, how can, uh, how can you go wrong with a listed company called Australian Ethical and his $500 quickly turned into $200 and I, my reputation was shredded and I had to make up the difference. So maybe the safer way, it, there are some ethical ETFs, and, but AFIC, I always like AFIC. They're the biggest listed investment company and they've long had a ban on gambling stocks. So that's why, and they invest yeah, yeah, in 80, they, 80 odd stocks. But they probably buy coal companies. I mean, yeah, if you're going to. They're in BHP. And if stuff, you're interested yeah, so. in uh, climate Pure change. climate, clean, green. You well, need to, you know, invest in something other than. Yeah. Other than that. Other Solar than companies ethic. and, yeah. But Infogen Energy got taken over. That was the biggest uh, biggest wind company listed. So, look, it's, it's, it's not that easy to get set in a passive sense, but there are some ETFs out there. Now, um, Roger. Roger says, congratulations on your download milestone. Yes, we did have a million downloads that we celebrated uh, last week. And uh, Roger is saying that he's surprised how left-wing Alan is on many issues such as taxation. And I I think that's just a general question, Alan, for you. How left-wing are you? I mean, I listened to that Virginia Trioli uh, interview and we learned about your love of peanut butter and uh, other things. But I don't think it's right to say that you are a left-winger on issues like taxation or more broadly. You believe in climate change and you're against the stage three tax cuts, but doesn't that just make you middle of the road? Well, look, uh, I've always made it a point not to um, shop for all my opinions in the same supermarket, if I can put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I tend tend to tailor my views according to the issue. Uh, Facts on the merit of the issue. I reject labels entirely such as left or right wing I mean but look I do find that as I get older I'm more inclined to support progressive issues uh, I mean the, 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 the one thing actually, I've moved to the, the I've moved away from the right to more in the centre as I've got older except on flat taxes Stephen you're a disgrace on that issue well, yeah. I mean but look I, I mean the thing that's possibly pushed me towards the left is climate change yeah. I mean yeah. really uh, the, the, the idea that the way these all these right wingers get up and say that it's all crap and a hoax and stuff makes me not want to not want to be in their uh, proximity yeah. on any issue. Yeah, yeah. You and, know. and well done for resigning from News Corp three or four years ago when you did. I mean, I'm I'm the same. I have become more left wing because I've seen growing inequality, and I've also been appalled by corporate conduct. Like, if there's a rort to be had, you know, whether it's the plastics industry destroying the planet or the gambling industry. I'm now a bigger believer in regulation and market intervention because well, I just good believe for you, that Stephen. unlimited markets will just produce so terrible externalities. James says, congrats on a million listeners. I discovered the podcast late last year and since then have become a, a regular listener. I have a question that was prompted by James and Stephen, noting that inflation is far too high with the implication that the RBA must continue to act. This commentary left me 
yelling at my podcast machine for the simple fact that inflation is a trailing measure. And we are seeing inflation retreat. Um, so, uh, I mean, I listen, James, I, I totally agree with you because what we're seeing often, I, I often read, the RBA needs to act because inflation is still far well above the target range. Yes, it's 6%. It's 6%. You know, the target range is 3%. Well, yes, but the, the, the RBA's forecast for when inflation is going to be below 3% has for a long time been mid-2025. Yeah. So, I mean, it's two years off. So uh, the idea that inflation is still too high now is completely irrelevant. And uh, this week this week on Tuesday, the main thing that happened, apart from the whole decision, was that they, sh- they shoved out the, the time limit for getting to uh, 3% inflation by six months. Did you notice that, Stephen? Yes. They, they uh, low qu- uh, quietly slipped into his statement that they're now looking for, or that they are looking for inflation to be uh, within the target range by the end of 2025. And previously, up until Tuesday, it was mid 2025. So they've basically kicked it given down us the a, road another six months to given hit us the a six months reprieve. Which, uh, in my column for the New Daily tomorrow morning, I say is fill those parting gift to Australia, uh, which, you know, you might say, well, it's not much of a gift, but it's so the thought that counts. failed to tame the dragon, and so therefore you, I would, well, I simply, my view is that I think it's the right call to pause at 4.1, and it's been the right call to put up inflation uh, interest rates 12 times in a year. And we've got one last question, which is uh, Peter, who bought Mincor resources based on long-term exposure to battery metals less than a year, year ago, and now his shares have just been compulsorily acquired by the recently separate, separated uh, Twiggy Forest at a loss. Is this normal, that companies can just take over your company? Well, Peter, Mincor, I've just added to my list of 29 companies that have been taken over in the last four years in the most unprecedented thinning out of the ASX ranks in Australian history. That's actually the 30th company because Twiggy did pay $760 million in cash. But it was a rare compulsory acquisition because most takeovers these days are what's called the scheme of arrangement where you have a vote and if 75% say yes, the shares are all gone. This one was an on-market takeover and Twiggy got to 90%, so he got to compulsorily acquire this uh, nickel miner, Mincor Resources, which had been trading as high as $2.20 previously. But so, Peter, that's the way it goes. Sometimes you get taken out against your wishes well, by some but, billionaire at a loss, and that's just the market at work because your colleagues on the share register disagreed with you and they all handed their shares over to the recently separated $30 billion right, but, man. But, but the other point to make, Peter, is that the, the Twiggy didn't make the share price of Mincor fall from above $2 to $1.40. If that happened... That was the market at work. <laughs> that was that happened because shareholders of Mincourt, not yourself, obviously, Peter, were quite happy to sell. And if Twiggy hadn't for lower decided prices. he wanted to squander some of his billions of dollars of dividends from Fortescue shares on on buying your company, the stock would probably be below a dollar. So celebrate the small mercies that you got out for a dollar forty, Peter. I say. Yes, right. Now that's it for today. Now I just wanted to, before we close off, I just wanted to put in a plug. For Eureka Report subscriptions, everybody, come on now, listen. This is a good product. Um, I do a weekend briefing every Saturday. We do, I do, in, I, I interview uh, small cap CEOs and put them under the barbecue, or put them on the barbecue. You do. And grill tough them. Tough interviews. Tough Very interviews. Tough, tough but so, fair. 
Puff Affair, and we've got lots of fantastic contributors such as Stephen Main, Steve, Steve Sammartino, Bob Gottliebson, um, uh, Liz Moran on, on uh, income stocks, uh, Tim Treadgold on resources. And unlike this podcast, which sometimes comes out occasionally on a Wednesday and usually sometimes on a Thursday afternoon, if you're an email subscriber, you can absolutely rely that at 9 o'clock on Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday, ping. No, it's 7 o'clock on Saturday. 7 o'clock on Saturday. And, and the Saturday read that people. Alan does is a joy to behold. It's his overall view. It runs to thousands of words. And I set the alarm for 6.59am every Saturday to get your overall view of the world for three or 4,000 words. Plus my links to uh, interesting reading. Yes. Plus uh, a bit of music. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. A few, and this is the uh, a few one cartoons. Thing we, this is the one thing we do which is free to the world, isn't it? This, this is this podcast. Money Cafe is free, but, the, but there's other podcasts the rest that are subscriber only, like your, your Talking Finance, which well, is fantastic. Right. And that's why, because it's free, that's why, folks, you're getting this ad. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, because we don't take advertising at that's Eureka right. Report, unlike everybody else. So finally, that's it. And thanks for listening. Um, I'll be back next week with James Thompson. Send in a question and we'll answer it. Uh, to sending the question to the money cafe at eurekareport.com.au. So I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report, finance presenter on ABC News and columnist for the New Daily. And I'm Stephen May, and I've never been a member of the Chairman's Club at Qantas. See you in a fortnight. <laughs>